Well, everybody, thank you for joining us today. I'm Claudia Shambaugh, your host of Ask a Leader, welcoming you to the March 5th, 2013 edition. Today, I'd like to dedicate this show to the memory of Gus Eyre, who died last month at the ripe young age of 63. If you don't know Gus, he was mayor of Fountain Valley for a time, his manager of many a campaign, and a non-stop political activist really into the local scene. I saw Gus last at the Irvine Saturdays Market, apparently just before he died last month. His tributes are fond as they are many. Just check it out, spelling it A-Y-E-R. The mother of all Gus Iyer tributes is on the Orange Juice blog by Vern Nelson. Well, now today I've put together one of my more youthful-centric programs with themes that certainly would resonate with Gus. This is about you students, you young folks. First, we're going to hear from Katie Ingmeyer, the creator and lead organizer of OC Young, Fun, and Nerdy. Afterward, UCI professor David Meyer, the guy who studies social movements for a living and his own passions, will size up the partisan State of the Union. Don't go away. We'll be right back after a brief interlude. Welcome all to Back to Gas Ask a Leader. My first guest is Katie Ingmeyer, founded founder of the OC Young Fun and Nerdy Meetup Group in December 2008 and currently serves as its lead organizer. An unabashed word and trivia nerd, she loves proper grammar. Gosh, I do too, my dear. Uh, good books and playing along with the TV show Jeopardy. When she isn't planning or hosting a meetup event, Katie spends her time as the associate director of Dog Fancy Magazine. She has a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism from Indiana University and originally hails from Chicago area. She comes to us today from... Katie? Yes? Where are you calling this one from? Oh, I'm calling um, from my workplace. From, no, just what town? Oh, Irvine, California. From, she comes to us today from Irvine. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Katie Ingmeyer. Thanks, Claudia. It's great to be here. Well, let's start with why you created this meetup group, which functions as it does function as a dating website, does it not? Um, well, I didn't originally create it to be a dating website, but it's um, certainly been one for some people. We've um, had several couples form as a result, and I've actually been to two weddings already. Really? People who have uh, met in the group. Yeah, it was great. That That is a very big dividend for the the size we'll, we'll talk about here in a bit. Well, well done. So um, so why is it that you created this group? Well, I had the idea for the group um, in late 2008. I, I moved out here to Orange County um, in the middle of the year, and I joined Meetup as a way, um, you know, to meet people in this new area. And um, I had gone to a few events of, um, I believe it was like a 20s and 30s social group. And, um, you know, I just thought, oh, it might be fun to start my own group. And, um, you know, I've always considered myself a nerd. And I looked and I searched and I didn't see any uh, meetup groups in the area that catered to, uh, you know, nerdy folks and uh, especially those in their 20s and 30s. I did see one in 
um, L.A., but not in Orange County. So I thought, you know what, it would be a great idea to, um, you know, bring the nerd community together. And so I created the group, and the OC nerds came out of the woodwork. Out of the woodwork <laughs> and into the main time. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, we uh, note that um, your, your let's talk about your following. Then I mean, you talked about what what uh, brings you to the table in terms of uh, uh, invigorating pastimes and that kinds of things. What um, what what can you describe to us as your following? The whole range of nerddom. <laughs> uh, well, we have um, nerds of all types. Um, most of um, the members of the group are in um, young adults in the twenties and thirties. So we have some folks. Um, in their 40s as well, um, and people who are, um, I guess, just have nerd pride um, and who are, you know, proud to say, hey, I'm a nerd, whether, uh, you know, you love comic books or Star Trek or you can um, say you know how to program three software languages or if you're like me um, and you're a word nerd and you love grammar and reading, um, you know, just all sorts of um, people out there who identify themselves as nerds of all types. And so there's there like some kind of eligibility? I mean, how is there any kind of vetting or they're self-vetting? They're self, self-selecting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's people who say, I'm a nerd. Usually the process for getting into the group is, um, you know, you go on to meetup.com and you can search for uh, OC, Young, Fun, and Nerdy. And then what we do is we have, um, you know, potential members answer a few questions. Um, for example, if they want to offer a brief introduction about themselves, then we ask them, um, you know, what is one thing about you that makes you a nerd? Uh, we also ask uh, if they're in their 20s and 30s, and also what kind of work they do, or if, or if they're in school, what are they studying? And so potential members will uh, fill out those questions, and then me or one of my assistant organizers will take a look, and if it seems like they'd be a, a good fit for the group and seem passionate about being a nerd, then we say, welcome, come on in. Okay, I'm always having to ask um, sort of the, the fringe question of what, let's say somebody's not really, they're just a little bit past 30, but they sure are needy in terms of as affiliation and associating with like minds and spirits. What Do you draw the line with the pretty hard and fast, or is it, um, it's depending on how they answer? You know, it really depends how they answer. Um, you know, usually we go for those in their 20s and 30s, but if someone says, you know what, I'm outside of the age range, but, you know, nerds are my crowd, and, um, you know, um, I identify myself as a nerd, and I'd love to get to know the people in this group, um, then we certainly welcome them in. They could, um, be, they could be kind of like the nerd mentor, couldn't they? They could, yep. And they'd have a fit in there with the, with the in league with that group, with your mm-hmm. group, yes. Well, um, so... Uh, so this is what you've known about them. Um, does this include, do you have a lot of C- UCI students? Well, I don't know exact numbers of UCI students, but, but generally. I do know um, that I've certainly met several people who either attend UCI or are alumni of UCI. So oh. there's definitely good anti-representation. In the okay, okay. Well, those of you who just joined us, 
You are listening to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My guest is Katie Ingmeyer, creator and lead organizer of Orange County Young, Fun, and Nerdy Meetup Group. And uh, it could be a, a sort of day, as she's told us, it's uh, serving at least uh, 1,226 social smarties, as you say on your website, and counting. And she herself, you've attended, you say, about 178 meetups. So um, what what are some of your... Now, we're, we're going to talk about up-and-coming events, but what are some of the highlights that you thought, wow, we really hit this this gathering out of the ballpark? Oh, let's see. Well, there's certain events that are tend to be really big hits within the group. Um, anytime we do a board game night, um, yeah. We tend to get a good crowd for that. Um, a lot of folks in the group are really into playing board games. Um, also, um, pub trivia quizzes. We offer, um, I think, at least a few of those every week, it seems. And um, so we have a lot of trivia enthusiasts in the group. Um, another, I guess, one-time event that, um, you know, I was really excited about and seemed to be um, a big hit was I think back a year or two ago, uh, we went um, over to Los Angeles, and we went to the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, and we saw the um, Tim, Bur- Tim Burton exhibition that was there. Uh-huh. And then we went over and, you know, looked all around the museum. Then after that, um, we went to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, which during the summer has a screening series called Senespia, um, where they literally show uh, movies in a graveyard. And so... Um, we I've went and we that. bought food for that. Mm-hmm. We picnicked and uh, watched the movie Flash Gordon um, over at the cemetery. And so it was an all-day nerd event, um, and it was a lot of fun, and people seemed to have a great time. So people all meet over there, or do they caravan from the, the OC uh, uh, Inner Sanctum uh, epicenter, or how did that work out? Yeah, a lot of times when we do events, um, that are outside of Orange County. Most of our events are within the county, but right. we do venture over to Los Angeles County and down to San Diego sometimes. Um, oftentimes for those farther away events, we will have carpools um, where members can meet up and so you can save some gas money and um, you know get to know one each other while you're driving to the event. Well, fine. Well, while we're talking about nerds and all that, I'm wondering if, uh, if the, the nerds affiliated are uh, resenting how geek has become become such a mainstream concept <laughs> I don't um, I don't see that a lot from members in the group who are you know there's a big competition between the nerds and geeks because to be honest um, I think most of the people in our group identify themselves as both nerds and geeks um, you know when I think of geek I always think of someone who's um, you know really enthusiastic yes. about the technology field and we have a ton of members who are in that field, um, you know, software programming, IT, um, stuff like that, or that they, you know, when the newest um, smartphone comes out, they'll go and buy it, or, you know, they'll love to talk about uh, the new tablets, uh, things like that. Well, I know I've heard Geek also just simply uh, applied where it's an intense interest, like even like a fish, you know, fish tank geeks or, uh, you know, it's, it's not anything really technical, but it's about, about the intensity of which the person is cultivating their interest. So that's, mm-hmm. it seems to be uh, showing uh, in many, many different areas. Well, um, so what are the resources that you're using to keep this going, Katie Meyer? Well, um, I have a great group of assistant organizers that help 
to um, you know, plan events and welcome people to the group and just serve as great representatives of the group. We currently have uh, six assistant organizers right now. Um, and also we have um, group members that are always suggesting ideas and we always welcome group members if they're interested in hosting event to um, you know, suggest the event on the website. And then um, if it seems like a good fit, some, um, you know, either the event will be made into an official event, you could say, if um, at least three people sign up and say they're interested, or if, say I contact the person and say, hey, this sounds like this would be a lot of fun for the group. Um, you know, would you like to host this? Or would you like some help hosting this? So um, there's a lot of enthusiasm from the members and from the other organizers. And, um, you know, that makes people, um, host people attend events and get excited about the group, make new friends, and uh, keep coming back that way. Um, and I guess the other resource would be financial. Right. Um, you know, I, I spend um, some money every month uh, to keep the group on the meetup.com website, and that is obviously critical to keeping the group going. Right, right. And uh, the six organizers like you, I imagine this is sort of pro bono then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, on a volunteer basis, so these people are, um, you know, donating their time to help make this group great. Wow. And so, and they know who they 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 come forward after they've been hosting. Uh, there are people that you know from uh, from work or from uh, I don't know from your your own sort of social network. Is, that's where the, the six organizers have come from. Well, most of them have come from people who have joined the group and you know have been uh, active members and perhaps have started hosting some of their yes, own events. Yes, like you were just saying, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, fine. Well, um, so when People sign up, show up. What is it that they're looking for, for our listeners' benefit to, to know whether this is something that the, that's going to work for them? I think people are looking, um, you know, for others who also identify themselves as nerds who, um, you know, may have be interested in activities with a little bit more of an intellectual bent. Uh-huh. And just to, um, you know, be in a community with people um, who aren't afraid of saying, hey, I'm a nerd. Um, and so I think the big deal is uh, to get this sense of community and um, meet with uh, like-minded folks. So is validation a part of this? They're just sort of like, oh, man, you, I'm not the only one that's into this. They're just, they, you know, the whole whole commiseration kind of aspect going on, or they're just too busy having a good time to worry about that, that factor. It's just happening naturally. Um, I think it mostly happens naturally. I think there's some... A lot of people who um, also say, hey, there's others like me. And, um, you know, it makes it um, fun when the group members get together and, you know, we can talk about, you know, um, topics that maybe it wouldn't be quote-unquote cool to talk about with other people, like, um, you know, what's this great book you read or uh, something you're studying, or, you know, what's your favorite episode of Star Trek or your favorite Star Wars movie, things like that. Well, um, uh, for those new uh, guests, listening guests who just joined us, we're talking to Katie Ingmeyer, creator and lead organizer of Orange County Young, Fun, and Nerdy Meetup Group. It, it can be a website for dating. It can be just a, just a, social, a broader social network. And um, I would like to talk... Um, about um, 
the ideas that we've, we're talking about that. So they're, they are demand-driven. Sponsors come to you and say, hey, we, we want to get more coverage. How does that, how do they crop up that way? It's, uh, our ideas come from a whole mix of sources. Um, oftentimes, you know, we'll try out a new type of event, and if there's a good response, chances are we'll do it again. Um, you know, example of this would be our um, pub trivia quizzes, our board game nights. Um, you know, there's been a lot of hiking events that get a great turnout. So you, you just you notice the trends that pop up um, and what people are really excited to attend. Um, we do also have sponsors that uh, get in touch with me and say, hey, I have a fun thing for your group to do. Um, would you be interested in attending this event? Um, perhaps we could offer you a group discount. Ah. Uh, for example, in May, um, we're having a big group attend um, the first ever X app expo in costa mesa okay um, which is all about um you know the new smartphone and tablet apps and um so that's one example of someone coming to us and saying hey i think your group would have fun doing this and also a lot of times when um me and the other organizers will attend events members will say hey i think it would be great if our group did this or that and so we take their input and we create um, events based on their ideas as well. Well, uh, so in talking about some of the highlights, I'm just curious, have you, Katie, established some kind of like annual gatherings or rituals that um, everybody's counting on since you've been around now for over four years? Well, let's see. Um, we, I guess one example of an annual event that we have done is our Pi Day celebration. Um, Which Pi? P-I or P-I-E? Uh, well, we blend the two together. That's the pun. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Pi Day is on March 14th, um, you know, 314, like the, ah, like the number. Of and course. So, um, I think for two or three years, we've met up at a local um, establishment that serves good pie. And we'll have our pie and, um, and eat it you too. know, chat. And, yeah, and eat it too. <laughs> and so, that's one example. Um, a lot of times, what we do is for... Holidays such as, um, you know, the 4th of July, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Valentine's Day, um, an organizer or group member will suggest an event for those people who perhaps live far away from their families or aren't doing anything on that day. And so they can get together and maybe go see a movie or have dinner. Or for 4th of July, uh, one of our assistant organizers have, has done some fun um, cookouts and barbecues and um, watch the fireworks. So... So you're a veritable extended nerd family then. This is great. Yeah, I guess you could call it that. Oh, yes. And that uh, just, folks, you heard that possibly first about the Pi Day coming up. That's, that's a week from Thursday, correct? I think because the 12th is my next show uh, next week. So Pi Day, well, that sounds marvelous. <laughs> do, I, do you convert people into becoming nerds? Let's say like a nerd brings a guest just to for whatever reason, and maybe they're not a full-fledged nerd. Do they? Have you had assimilating nerds? Have you noticed? Yeah, well, we've had people a lot of times bring their significant others and uh, perhaps uh, friends. Um, and then if these people had a great time, they'll come back. They're going to proclaim themselves another nerd. That's, yeah. You're spawning them. <laughs> them with the you're spawning them, Katie. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, uh, we've we've talked a little bit about the plans. You, you mentioned the pub, uh, some pub grubs um, 
and all that on uh, tonight. You have so many things going. People, you nerds out there, or, or proto-nerds, you have no idea what's awaiting you. Tonight is at the old ship pub in Santa Ana. That's a, a, a quiz night. Maybe mm-hmm. you could just unpackage that a wee bit. You've got lots happening today, tomorrow, and forever. So uh, what would happen at a, a quiz night? What kind of uh, subject areas, and uh, what's the format? Well, for the old ship pub quiz, um, it's held at the old ship in Santa Ana, and that's a British pub. Yes, I've been there for a New Year's Eve early. Oh, excellent. They celebrate their uh, New Year's Eve London time, so it's over, folks, by about 4 p.m. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, back to, I, I digress. Okay. Um, at the old ship. At the old ship? Well, what we do is um, we usually bring a team or two. You can have teams of up to eight people. And um, we go in and, you know, we get some food and some beverages if people want. And they do the quiz. They start the quiz at 730. And really topics run the gamut. Um, Since it is a British pub, a lot of times there will be some um, British-related topics in there, Mm -hmm. um, such as British rock music. A lot of times the Beatles will show up, the Rolling Stones. There's usually a question or two about James Bond in every quiz. Um, But really... Um, you know, since it's trivia, any topic can potentially show up. And um, sometimes you leave at the end of the night and your brain kind of hurts from thinking a lot. But it's a great chance um, to get, a, you know, a, a group of uh, nerds together and eat and talk and just have a good time working together. And then there's the comedy night improv in Irvine later on this week. Yes, that will be uh, later this week. I believe that is a free event to go see some comedy. And um, also tonight we have a karaoke event. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. And um, seems like we have a, a good group for that. And let's see, um, you know, it's a, it's a busy week for the group, which is Very. Great. It's chock yeah. full. Yeah, we have um, a viewing of the Walking Dead Paley Fest panel at a local movie theater. Um, Paley Fest is a TV fan fest that's held up in L.A. And then on Friday... We're going to Sky High Sports in Costa Mesa, and that's a, a trampoline fun center. Oh, yes. You know, jump on its huge room of trampolines or do flips into a foam pit or play some trampoline dodgeball. Um, and so we'll do that, and then afterwards we'll go get some ice cream and um, make up for all those calories we burned. Well, it's just like, um, I don't know, it's not like a play group, but it sounds like a play group, from, uh, if you can remember that far back. I can, I can remember because it's not that long ago when my, my own children were doing that. But, mm-hmm. um, and then you've, I, I'm kind of intrigued by your plans in about, it's at the end, no, it's in the end, of, it's in April, the, for, it's the Big Bang Theory Play Fest. That ought to be totally cool. Yeah, we have a good group going for that, and that, is, that will be up in L.A. And, you know, the Big Bang Theory is, a favorite show of many of our group members, and it obviously has a lot of nerd appeal. The, um, you know, the characters in that show are physicists and other science-minded, geeky and nerdy folks. And so we'll we'll head up there and we'll see a panel of, um, you know, cast members from the show. I believe the, you know, there's some producers, the creator, director, um, and it'll be a Q&A session and we'll probably get to see an episode of the show and learn more about it and um a lot of times the cast members will sign autographs afterwards so so the chance to meet your uh favorite big bang star so oc fun um and uh young fun and nerdy you're going to be there it's not like a telecast on a screen somewhere you're going to be right where all the cast is going to be assembled for the big bang theory one we are for the walking dead that'll be showing at a 
local movie theater. Well, you need to have some posters or you can sort of push them up in the, you know, in, in the audience and they know who you are and they can, you know, they can target this. And, uh, yes, I, I know from a couple of Caltech pals that they can't believe the number of jokes that are embedded in Bing Bang Theory. They're probably... Uh, Twenty to to eighty percent are going over my head, but I, I can tell th- I can tell there's jokes there, but I guess I'm not laughing as loud as as my Caltech pals are. But um, so that ought to be great. And then uh, there's the April Swing Dance coming up, and then I'm curious about what's going to be the original Renaissance Pleasure Fair. Well, that uh, the Pleasure Fair is an event. Um, I want to say it's held in Irwindale every year. Yes, that is. Oh, it's that Pleasure Fair. Okay. Yes, that's um, the one. And so there's a good group going for that, and, um, you know, you can go there and try out archery and maybe dress up um, like someone in medieval times and go have fun and kind of go back in time for the day. Well, I see everything we've talked about that, that we associate with nerddom, but I didn't see any train activities. I mean, that's <laughs> that's a mark of it. So I, 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 but that may be coming up, you know, in some uh, like some more summertime kind of a thing. I know trains show up in some of the other uh, meetup sites. So, um, well, Katie Ingmeyer, it's been delightful getting to explore all the possibilities out there. All the listeners now have every option to exercise in uh, association with this and the other uh, kinds of enterprises that I bring up on Ask a Leader. I really appreciate your giving us uh, a shot at this one. Uh, good luck to you, and I'm, I may just try to uh, see what's going on. I may find some grammarians or some, uh, you know, poli-sci geeks that want to uh, find out where the there there is, and I can contribute to that. I'd, it'll be a lot of fun. So uh, good luck. Thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you very much, Claudia. It's been a great time. Okay. Well, we are going to come back in just a gif with the um, next part of our show with David Meyer. He is go- he's a social scientist here at UCI. Well, he'll be talking, uh, taking the pulse of the GOP body politic amidst certain demographic trends to determine what the pulse is and other vital signs. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You really swell, I have to admit you Deserve expressions that really fit you And so I rag my brain hoping to explain All the things that you do to me By mere fist to shame Please let me explain By mere fist to shame means that you're grand The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. My next guest is UCI Irvine Professor David Meyer, who picks up where he left off last October with his insightful thinking about American the American political pulse and how Democratic and more to the point Republicans are responding to the demographic trends. David Meyer, a professor of sociology, political science, planning, policy, and design. He studied literature where he received his BA degree at Hampshire College and holds a PhD in political science from Boston University. Before coming to UCI, he taught at the City College of New York and the City uh, University Graduate Center, the University of Michigan, and Tufts University. He's been around. His general areas of interest include social movements, political sociology, and public policy, and he's most directly concerned with the relationships between social movements and the political context in which they emerged. 
just the man we want to hear from in these times. The politics of protest, social movements in America and New York. Uh, uh, the Oxford University Press was uh, published in 2007. He's also the con coordinator of and an active member in the Social Movement Social Justice Workshop. You can also follow David's commentary on his blog. Write this down because you'll want to know politicsoutdoors.com. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, David Meyer. Hi, how are you? I am fine to have you on again. I hope you are too. Oh, so excited to talk about this stuff. Oh, good. Well, I must say that on Ask a Leader last October, you saw the momentum that the Democrats were gaining in the electoral process. You considered there to be a progressive trend resulting in victories that did surprise the GOP. Did anything about this outcome surprise you, David? The thing that amazed me is how few um, of the mainstream commentators were paying attention to data. So I, I was not particularly prescient. I would, I would love to think that I saw things that nobody else saw, but basically I was saying things. I, I was reading the same electoral trends that everybody who was looking at polls was uh, seeing. And there was kind of a denial on the Republican side because the news for them is rough. Um, there has to be – they have to sort of reconfigure in order to succeed um, in national elections in the future. And those um, – the kind of soul-searching that's going to take place is not going to be easy. Well, so. no, no, not easy at all. I mean, um, starting uh, – we'll start at the state level because that was in everybody's uh, – you know, local L.A. Times coverage, local press coverage. Um, the chronicles of last weekend's GOP state convention were all about the look, the packaging, the outreach. Isn't there a disconnect with that kind of take versus what's really going on? Like you said, what is the data telling us about the, the population? Well, I mean, every, uh, every academic who's writing a book at University of California, Irvine, imagines that there'd be a bestseller if only people knew, if only they had good PR. And uh, it's easier to believe that than to think, well, maybe there's something wrong with the product. And maybe even if you have an attractive candidate with good hair who doesn't say um, outlandishly stupid things, then people will vote against their interests or what they think their interest is. Unfortunately for the Republican Party, particularly in California, the world doesn't work that way. And here's the paradox and the problem that they have. As the party gets smaller, and in California the Republican Party has gotten much, much, much smaller, the uh, yes. people who remain are more homogeneous and departing on matters of policy is even tougher for uh, candidates for office. So, you know, okay, let's talk about the messaging instead. Let's talk about, you know, the words, or let's talk about the color of the ties our candidates for office The color wearing. of the faces and cheeks, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll find an African-American or a Latino who's willing to run on the Republican ticket, but everybody else is not going to come along unless the issues make sense to them. And right now, the Republican Party in the state particularly, but also nationally, is encumbered with unpopular positions. And that's going to be a problem. Look at the gay marriage thing. Yeah, we're, we're, well, we, we could get to that later. We'll, so okay. I, I, we're at it sooner now in terms of uh, that it was a really, really interesting piece that Robert Draper wrote in the New York Times uh, February 17th Sunday magazine about the, since you bring, bring up that topic, we'll stay with it, that the, uh, you know, the young Republican 
uh, comers and um, enterprising uh, uh, contributors, they want choices, they want options, but they're getting shut down. No on the gay marriage, no on abortion choices and, uh, and decisions, and, and so many other things. That, that, that There's no room for them to, to exist in that kind of a party. Well, I, I heard Ralph Reed talking uh, oh. a little while ago, and he was saying, you know, uh, 97% of social conservatives voted for the Republican ticket, so we can't let them go. We have to find a way of broadening the base beyond them. Well, there there are veto points in their position. There are just a lot of Americans who are not going to vote for a party that takes a harsh anti-marriage stance, and that number is likely to increase. This is where the uh, demography is on the side of the uh, social liberals, because you know, if I ask my students who have all kinds of positions on economic issues about gay marriage, the large portion of them just don't even think it's an issue. They think it's kind of obvious. And this is not UCI. This is a generation. Because they've grown up in an era where Ellen is on TV every day. She doesn't seem mean. She doesn't seem threatening. She doesn't seem dangerous. Why should they take positions that are, um, you know, that, that stigmatize a portion of the population? So what do you do, though, if you're Ralph Reed? And you got 95% of the social conservative vote, and you know those people could desert you if you falter. So that's a big problem, and they haven't figured out a, an easy answer. What has to happen, and this happens to uh, happens within large political parties like the Democrats and the Republicans all the time, is you have to sell out your allies. And uh, nobody wants to say that explicitly. Well, we have to, you know, just sort of take their votes and give them nothing in return. My and goodness. Well, and let's go back. Um, I, I, we were talking about the, the state level of politics, and right where there was an opportunity to, you know, I guess just throw a bone, but there was this kind of instinctive DNA uh, sort of knee-jerk response about uh, who was a front-running uh a uh, vice presidential candidate for the GOP board in California, Harmeet Dillon, a Sikh uh, attorney, uh, was was a sort of um, had a whole rumor campaign running um, amidst this convention that this was not you know all that sort of epithets about uh, being a, a, a radical, a uh, a, a, a fundamentalist, um, you know, a terrorist, and all all those kinds of monikers. And this is just, this is a, oh yeah, and drawing on all of the background uh, of Harmeet's um, participation in some sort of uh, ACLU activities. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, but they, they just, uh, the GOP membership's uh, conservative rank and file just couldn't leave well enough alone and see that there was there was a bone to throw the, the general public about uh, opening up the tent a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, that's exactly it. The party is smaller. When it becomes smaller, there's less diversity within it. The uh, hardcore people who remain exercise disproportionate influence, and uh, it's hard for such a party to reform. And the irony here is that Governor Schwarzenegger was the opportunity for the Republican Party to remake itself. And all of Governor Schwarzenegger's um, flaws recognized the bigger problem is that the Republicans had was with his politics. With you know, he was soft on the environment. He was not anti-gay. He was not anti-immigration, and that was enough to alienate the rank-and-file voters in the Republican Party. 
as the party gets smaller, there's less diversity within it. It's harder for the party to change, and there's going to be a period of uh, there's going to be a period of reconsidering what they're all about, and it could be a tough could be a tough road. You know, I mean, the Republicans in uh, California don't want to end up like the Republicans in Massachusetts, who are essentially marginal. Now, there's another piece to this, which is a problem for the Democratic Party, which is um, what, as the Republican Party gets smaller and less powerful, completely marginal to the process of policymaking, therefore able to say absolutely anything and therefore able to alienate more and more people. Well, that's the thing. I think that absolutely saying anything, uh, the alienation really crystallized uh, a swing vote last uh, election cycle. And all the money that that Sheldon Adelson could put in a campaign could not offset those bizarre utterances. Well, I mean, one story, which I think is part of it, is that the Republicans weren't as uh, clever on technology as the Democrats are. Well, that's another thing that but, uh, it's been, yes. But that's a side That's a side That's show. a side That's still packaging. Yeah, I mean, and it's you certainly want to be smarter on the details. That does make sense. And there's no reason the Republicans can't learn to run a campaign and spend their massive amounts of money more wisely, right? That's that's true. But it was a it was a massive defeat. The Democrats won all the close elections in California. The Democrats won almost all the close elections in the nationally. country, right? And uh, that's a pro- that's a problem. The uh, problem the Democrats are going to have is now they're the bigger tent, and they have to manage their own diversity. So uh, there are Democrats who won office in states that don't always vote for Democrats, and now they have to take positions on things like gun control. And boy, that's not exciting. Um, In California, big business, really, when when, uh, business leaders are pragmatic, they're not going to be spending a lot of time with Republicans because they can't get anything from them. So now they're going to start donating. They have started donating to Democrats. And so the Democratic constituency is not so homogeneous. They're going to be the conflicts in California that are meaningful are going to be conflicts inside the Democratic Party rather than between the Democrats and the Republicans. And that's a difficult thing to manage as well. You know, the Democrats are going to be getting half of their money from large business interests, and they're still going to be getting money from labor, and those groups don't agree. So, that, you know, I don't think this job is easy for anybody, and this is endemic to, you know, party, you know, the kind of crazy catch-all parties we have in the United States. Well, for those of you who've just joined Ask a Leader, my guest is Professor David Meyer, UCI Sociology and Political Science Intellectual, talking about the ways in which America's two major parties are making inroads or losing membership, both on the California and national level. Um And this is 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming all over the world, if you want to think of it that way, on the web at KUCI.org. Well, um, so you were right about the trend and your crystal ball uh, about all, uh, but how about, how are these sensibilities, David, going to be playing out with this ongoing sequestration debacle? God, isn't that crazy? (sighs) You know, I mean, if you you want uh, people who are competent to work in government, cutting their salaries by 20% is not something that's enticing. Uh, that's a problem. And 
right now what we've been hearing about is that the state most adversely affected by the sequester is Virginia. Virginia, right. Um. And Virginia has a lot of uh, powerful Republicans, and they could right, right be uh, in the crosshairs, so to speak, of uh, public antagonism. And the sequester is going to hurt the economy in all kinds of subtle ways. You know, people who are earning 20% less are not going to get haircuts so often. They're not going to go out for dinner just as much. And so, uh, you know, the people who know all about economics say this is going to cost about a half a percent growth to an economy that's not growing that fast to begin with. Okay, so that's the problem. Well, wait, before you go further into this, though, the, it, I think not so subtle is the cutback in you know, governmentally provided services that, you know, Janet Reno's, Janet Reno, Janet Napolitano is already, you know, sending out the advisory. Don't, don't, you know, bang around on these poor TSA people. They are, they're just, there's fewer of them handling, you know, more lines in the airport. So people are going to see where uh, they're going to have to, they're, they're getting cut back in having their governmental services rendered and, uh, or the, the, uh, daycare that is government sponsored that you know mm-hmm. um, all those things are going to show up sooner than a fewer haircuts um, what people are going to discover what government does when it does it more slowly now the question is are Democrats and uh, President Obama going to be effective in explaining their case which is that you know the Republicans are nuts and they don't want to make a deal and they don't want to um, you know have uh, government spend on necessary things? Or are Republicans going to be successful and be able to blame President Obama because it's just a failure of leadership? Because a leader would get it done. How would a leader get it done? A leader would get it done. How? By leading. Well, um, I suspect that most people who are inclined to Democrats are going to believe the Democratic case. Most people who are inclined to Republicans are going to believe the Republican case. But what about those people who go back and forth? I think the Republican case is weaker on the merits, and I think that winds up mattering. And this could be one of these uh, classic miscalculations which hurts the party. Uh, the Republican Party, I mean. But don't don't think that um, that the politics of all this aren't first and foremost in everybody's mind before the decline of services and before the economic effects. This is a uh, game of political chicken. And actually, one of the... No, it's a a cockfight. It's a cockfight. What does that mean? (laughs) No, there's these two roosters in the middle there, and they're just kind of like taking... But it's really the populace and the the political people, and they're just sort of like, you know... I'm trying to think, who are the two roosters in the circle? The two... The two uh, negotiating parties uh, over the budget, and they're sort of like, who's who's the bloodiest? Who looks the who looks stronger? Who looks bloodier in terms of their rhetoric and in terms of how the people are, you know, maybe and people are thinning out in the cockfight. Uh, they're leaving because they can't stand to watch it anymore because they have to, uh, you know, make up for what's being lost in governmental services. So I'm, yeah, but you know, the, I mean, the problem that. The problem that the Republicans have is they really, really, really can't make a deal because of diversity within their own uh, coalition nationally. There's a chunk of libertarians in the Republican Party, not a majority, not even a lot, but enough to make it impossible to make a deal, who are dead set not only against any new taxes, but against even backing away from the uh, from uh, the cuts. And it means that 
Um, John Boehner can't command the majority to make any kind of deal. And so he's got to fight kind of a rear guard action, just blaming the Democrats for whatever goes wrong. But he can't take on the responsibility of governance, given the nature of the Republican Party nationally now. And that's a problem. But, David, it's interesting you bring up the libertarians in the congressional arena, the libertarians in the young, enterprising demographic of the GOP. They're the ones that want to see the choices open up in what the rhetoric is uh, within the GOP and their, you know, their feeling very mixed about their affiliation. Okay, so na- so, so we've got California, different kind of libertarians. Republicans have become really homogeneous and kind of marginal to the political debate. Nationally, there are distinct groups within the Republican coalition that have cooperated over many years because it's all about winning elections. So that would include the libertarians, that would include the social conservatives, and on foreign policy, that includes the neocons. Now, these people don't agree on everything. They don't agree on a lot, but they do agree that it's great to win elections. And once the prospect of winning elections kind of fades into the sunset, what holds these people together? You know plenty of things that that draw them apart. So... um, the old neocon um, line about, you know, like large defense spending, large international footprint, that's something that just makes the, the libertarians shudder. Right. Okay, what do we do about that? So when uh, they say we're going to cut defense spending, Rand Paul says, yay, let's cut defense spending even more. Okay? That's a divisive issue. Now, so that's their problem. And the social conservatives, who are also there, they are not willing to uh, give up on a party that represents what they think is right. That means strong stance against abortion, strong stance against contraception. That means um, that that means uh, no same-sex marriage, and that the you know pragmatists in the party know that dooms them to minority status. So these are things that are very, very difficult to work out on the Republican side of the aisle. Yes. And Obama or anybody else can't make a deal with a, uh, with a basically undisciplined uh, party. Now, here's like another little trick that's going on on the Republican side. Yes. Remember the campaign against earmarks? Right. Well, John Boehner has very, very little leverage to get people to vote the way he wants them to vote. So that's his leverage. Well, the earmarks are gone. He doesn't have those anymore. He, he kicked a few people off committees. Um, he kicked four hyper-conservative uh, people off committees that were powerful because they didn't cooperate with the leadership. And all these guys, Justin Awash uh, from Michigan says, you know, I don't need the party to raise money for my campaign. I get money from outside interests. I, I'm fine taking the positions I'm taking. Right. And okay. so there's no discipline within that. Completely um, atomized. Yeah. And, you know, like one of the things that Nancy Pelosi is going to go down in history for is being extraordinarily effective at weeding the Democratic Party and marshalling votes when she had to. Right. And part like, of that is fundraising and part of that is personality. And part of that is having a having a. Um, constituency, the Democrats and Democrats in uh, Congress, that really, really, really wants to win. That's not where the Republicans are now. For those of you who've just joined Ask a Leader, David Meyer, professor of sociology and political science at UCI, is talking about 
Well, we're talking about now how sequestration is playing out in uh, the kind of uh, uh, the ebb and flow of membership, the loss of membership between our two major political parties, the Democrats and the Republicans. And mm. uh, so, and we, uh, the well, I I guess I'm going back to this demographic that the 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 forty under forty um, sort of group of of. Republicans, they're just embarrassed to say the Republicans, except for our own KUCI, Adam O'Neill. He still he still uh, seems to smile handsomely through that. But they're getting harassed for it the same way that they said uh, um, they used to get, have liberals have a hard time. So um, we've we've sort of touched on this. So so where um, I don't know if this um, if the, these young movers and shakers have any kind of a role in. You know how this game, this game of chicken, the cockfight, is playing out. Well, I mean, since you're watching the social movements, there's a real question about what happens next, and there's a real question about how long you stick with a uh, party that's interested in your support but not willing to give you anything for it. And obviously, there are plenty of people who are willing to, you know, <sighs> subsume all kinds of other interests for the prospects of winning an election. But when those prospects of actually winning disappear, um, the trade-off just doesn't seem so good. So um, you know, uh, um, we've seen it on gay and lesbian issues in the Republican Party. When you had Ken Melman, who is openly gay and worked for President Bush, is now not working for the party. When you had um, Liz Cheney, who is willing to work with the Republicans on foreign policy and basically hold her nose on gay and lesbian issues. Well, she's not very visible now either. So, And she was pretty hardcore about backing the party line other than that one aspect. Well, yeah. And then there's but Megan. When, they, when you stop winning elections, the incentives for compromise kind of disappear. And then there's Megan McCain. Megan McCain, she's charming, isn't she? And she's she's <laughs> no, but she knows where the the winds are blowing too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is a, this is a big issue, you know. I mean, young people who have grown up in a different environment than the uh, leaders of the Republican Party, and they want the party to represent their interests and their beliefs. And how can the Republican Party as a whole figure out how to sell out? a large part of its uh, coalition. Right. And that's a tricky thing to measure because that's what it is. It means like social conservatives don't desert us, but we are not going to do anything for you in the future. Now, that's tough. Um, I doubt that the Supreme Court is going to take them off the hook on this. I think this is something that's going to be devil the Republican coalition for some time to come. Yes. Well, and we're uh, I um, we're going to have the um, the law school on to talk about speaking of the uh, the the electoral process. Um, he'll, Mr. Hazen is going to talk about the ruling when it is rendered about Section Five in yeah. the uh, Civil Rights Act. That that's the the big linchpin about whether there will be oversight in those I don't know is it seven eight states uh, uh, with their the the yeah. boundaries and the, any sorts of uh, revisions to their state um, codification of. Uh, electoral law, so uh, that's we'll we'll take that up when that comes. But well, uh, I mean, keeping black people and Latinos from voting—that's been an effort. Well, that was that's the way you can win elections with the fragmented party they have. 
unfortunately for them, they were unable to keep them from the polls. They were unable to keep ethnic minorities and people who, like, and young people. Well, I think, but David, it wasn't even that. It was that they were actually providing incentive for them to show up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. And uh, so it means you have to wake up and figure out something to do about it. Now, so here's the deal. So immigration is one issue. Lots of Republican pundits say we have to move on immigration. Right. Just as this morning, so was Jeb Bush talking about that. But short yeah, of but the, the path to citizenship. Got, but the people who got elected right. got elected from districts where their constituents don't want them to move on immigration. Right. And so the They're idea hard, of making hard. progress here is pretty tough. Right. Now, the, the word is that for the first time in his career, President Obama is actually going to try to help the Democrats make gains in the House of Representatives. But, you know, the way these districts are drawn, that's going to be very, very difficult. Right, right. As, as maybe some of you listeners know that there were more votes cast for Democratic congressional candidates than there were for Republicans. That, that was, that's one of the strangest ironies of our political process. But that tells you how much gerrymandering is going on. Well, it's gerrymandering, but it's also just districting. Apparently, um, you know, if the districts had been drawn completely fairly, Democrats would still be at a disadvantage because Democrats tend, Democratic voters tend to live in cities. And so there's lots of wasted votes, you know, in a, in a city that are for Democrats. So, I mean, it would be nice to uh, wind it up all up to, ger- to gerrymandering, but that's not the whole story. But apart, that's a good point. Well, before we wrap totally up, which we need to shortly, is uh, do you want to just weigh in a little bit about the Orange County uh, newly appointed Chairman Henry Vandermeer? His, he's an activist. He's got lots of track record, uh, you know, in working in the trenches after putting his own career uh, on, a, on the side for the last 15 years. Do you have anything to say about whether he's going to have a, a different kind of a presence to bear upon our Orange County electoral process? You know, it's an exciting time in Orange County because Orange County has changed so much. And the old line Orange County uh, paleoconservatives are still here. Yep, they're here. Still consequential, but they're not the only people here. Right. And uh, mobilizing voters in the north of the in the north of the county can make this huge difference for the Democratic Party. Um, His his problem, his challenge is going to be balancing the interests of large business donors who might be liberal or tolerant on social issues, very pro-immigration, but, but not necessarily pro-union. Right, right. Oh, that's a that's a point. Well, David, we can't go any further. We're going to call you back another time as the uh, more social movements are... are uh, uh, having a, a bearing on our uh, our political discourse. Uh, I thank you for being on the show today. Okay, take care. Thanks you, for having thank me. Thank you. We are now going to uh, turn this over to to uh, George Had Hat in just a moment. But I want to tell you, in next week we're going to be having a patient or two of UC oncologist Dr. Leonard Sanders. She's going to. They're going to bring us up to date on their health and some other developments. Natalie Burgess will bring someone very new and special along for the interview. We'll also hear from Seattle University anthropologist Harriet Finney about where her reproductive health research led her to a particular phenomenon in northern Vietnam, women having children on their own in the absence of eligible male partners. Hope you'll join us then. In the meantime, it's George Had a Hat up next.